There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. Lord, just so glad that we could be here this morning and got to stand and, and open up your word. So, Lord, I just pray right now that you open up our hearts and our minds, ready to receive you by your word, by your spirit, Father. And so I just uh, I thank you for this time together. Would we not allow ourselves to be distracted and got to let our minds wander, but, Lord, just to, in this moment, pause Focus on you as you are here with us this morning. In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. And as again, as we've been making our way through the book of Exodus, <clears throat> the thing I want to stress and just continue to press upon you guys as we've seen in going through this, that we are dealing with historical fact, that this is real life, real people. And even by chapter three, we have seen an unfortunate real cycle of humanity, this historical cycle of corrupt world leaders, and unjust rulers, and the fact that that will not end until the return of Jesus Christ. And guys, I'm here to say to you, I believe very strongly that day is fast approaching. As we ended chapter two last week, that, that what I would, again, would, would want to leave you guys with, or if you guys recall, is that God wanted you to know that he hears you, that God's attention is on you, so much so that, that God is emotionally connected to you to understand that God knows you, not about you, not just facts. He knows who you are. And with that, we come to Exodus chapter three. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, when we look at not only just the area, but the people, uh, geographically, when we're talking about the area of, of Midian, we're, we're talking about Arabia. So that is just kind of geographically away from Egypt, where we are, quite a few miles away. Ethnically, understand, and this is something to try to kind of recall back, uh, even if you guys heard Pastor Jeff's teaching a couple weeks ago, there's a woman by the name of Keturah who gets mentioned in the book of Genesis. And it almost is seemingly just kind of Oh, a one line passed over real quickly, but understand how this connects to this, as Moses wanted you to understand, this is one connective narrative story about Christ, that the Midianites are from the child of Abraham and Keturah. So Abraham married Sarah, they have Isaac. Sarah dies, he remarries a woman named Keturah, and their son's name is Midian. So the Midianites are from that line. So that's who they are ethnically. So we're in Arabia. We are ethnically from the children of Abraham. Though they're not the Israelites, no, they're not the children of Israel, but these are descendants from Abraham. 
And so there's very much going to be a concept of, of Yahweh, of, of Jehovah in this. Now, we also know that culturally uh, that they really mix with the Moabites. And if, again, if you guys remembered for where we're in Genesis with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole situation and that tribe that comes out of there and that there's, there's a lot of mixing with, with a, basically a worship of multiple gods. And so when you hear about Jethro, he, he's this priest of Midian. What does that mean? It means he's in this area of Arabia. He is a descendant from Abraham, but has within the culture, and truthfully, even if you look at Israel's history, that they also worship multiple gods. You guys are going to see that throughout Scripture. This is something God has to call them out on in that they even have a knowledge of him, but many times would leave that worshiping false gods. And yet what we are going to see about this man, Jethro, with this knowledge of Jehovah, that Moses is going to come to him after the Exodus. And it says in Exodus 18, 8 through 12, that they have this discussion. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on their way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord, Yahweh, had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord, blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, Yahweh, is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they have behaved proudly, he was above them. So this priest of Midian, Jethro, the father-in-law to Moses, he would have been someone who at the moment was, again, someone who knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's not going to be until after the Exodus that he goes, now I know that that is the one true God above all. Speaking of Moses, it says that he led the flock back to the desert. We're back here in Exodus 3. To the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now again, try and put yourself or, or try and imagine where Moses is here. This is 40 years from chapter 2. So he's 80 years old. This was the man who was an adopted prince of Egypt, leader, general in Egypt's, uh, Egypt's armies, potentially in line to be Pharaoh himself, and now he's 80 years old. He's not even a shepherd of his own flock. And so he stands here at this mountain, and verse 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Now, I want you guys to look through those verses, starting again just from verses 2 through 3 that we, we went through just right there. And you're going to see something that comes up about this burning bush. And again, many of you who have maybe grown up in church your whole life, you know the story. You, you've, again, I'm not knocking Sunday school. You've heard the Sunday school version. God spoke to Moses through a bush in the desert. But I want you guys to catch something that is very intentional that God does here that so easily gets missed. Who spoke to Moses from the bush? Look at verse 2. The angel of the Lord spoke to him. 
Then it says that the Lord, if you're, if you, in your Bible, you might see that's all in caps. When you see all in caps, L-O-R-D, that is the name Yahweh. So the angel of the Lord spoke, Yahweh spoke, and then notice that it says, and God said to him, that is the word Elohim. So in just these verses, what you hear from this bush that is speaking is the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim. Hold on to those because, guys, we're going to build upon that. This is a tentpole moment that takes us back to Genesis when it says, in the beginning, Elohim, there is a plurality to God that we have discussed all the way back in Genesis, and Moses is experiencing it here through this burning bush. And the reason I bring that up to you guys is, again, this is something that, that can be so lost, is this idea of the plurality of God. And what do I mean by that? Is this idea that when we say that there is one God and three persons, one God, but yet Father, Son, and Spirit, it could be something that you, you might dismiss or, or others might dismiss as, oh, that's, that's an uh, American thought, that somehow that, you know, centuries after the Bible was written, that we interjected this idea to try and fit some concept that we like, when the truth is that up until about 100 years after Jesus, Jewish rabbis taught that there was a plurality to God. When they read Genesis, when they read Psalms, when they read Exodus here in this burning bush, they said it is clear by the language that we have what appears almost at times to be two Yahwehs. And there are many times, again, if we think even leading up to Sodom and Gomorrah, where we see God in a human body speaking to Abraham, discussing what he's about to do, is there becomes this, this issue here where rabbis, again, up until about 100 years after Jesus, were still teaching this idea of a plural God. One God, one God, but yet somehow he has this plurality to him. This is, again, in passages that they, they wrestled with, but so clearly seen in things like Daniel chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. If you guys were here when we went through the book of Daniel, you'll remember this moment. But just to tie it right here to Exodus 3, the burning bush with the angel of the Lord, Yahweh and Elohim, all speaking from this bush. You see in Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14, it says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And so again, as we see the burning bush with these three titles speaking out, something that's going to be echoed when Daniel has his vision of the Son of Man who comes on the clouds, coming before the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days saying, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's to understand that even Jewish believers who studied the scriptures understood something that we tell you today, which is when we see that Elohim plurality, when we see these things echoed throughout all of scripture, this is not a concept that we're just shoehorning in, but something up until the moment when a certain individual stood up and said, I am that second Yahweh. Until that moment is something that they held on to but struggled with understanding. And so from there it says, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Again, I would want that to echo for you guys as we ended chapter two to know that God knows you. 
he is calling to Moses by name. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 tells us, Then the word of the Lord, yet another title that God gives himself, and so uses to distinguish his presence and his dwelling. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows you by name. You are not just some cog in a wheel, some empty, unknown face. God, creator of the universe, knows you. His attention is on you, and he cares. Moses answers the burning bush. He answers back and says, here I am. This here I am, it's equivalent to saying, Sir, yes, sir, in the military. Or when I was growing up, uh, I got a, an opportunity in my eighth grade summer to spend my entire summer in Hawaii. Uh, my dad was born and raised and, and grew up in Hawaii, and I, I didn't really get to connect with that family a lot growing up until about eighth grade. And so for my eighth grade summer, my dad sent me to Hawaii to live with my grandma, and I, and I got to just know the family and enjoy it. But one of the things I also picked up there, quite a few things. One, don't reach for a receipt or a bill unless you're willing to pay for it. Yep, grandma put me on the spot like day one. I don't know why I was nosy to find out how much we paid for lunch, but she said, oh, you're big enough to pick up the bill, you're big enough to pay for it. Totally aside, but just a nice little wisdom drop from grandma there. Uh, the second thing is that she, when she would call my name, Bryce, I would say, yeah, and oh, it bugged her all the time. It's not yeah, it's yes, she would say. So that's what I got drilled into my head all my eighth grade summer in Hawaii, right? Oh, beach and sunshine and just relaxing. And I had a grandmother who every time she would Bryce, yeah, it's not yeah, it's yes. Okay, yes, grandma. Because the word yes signifies thing. I hear you and my attention is, is responded to say, what do, you, what do you have for me? What, 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 what do I need? To, you obviously are getting my attention for a purpose and I hear giving my attention back. And that's what Moses is doing when he says, here I am. He is saying, not yeah, it's yes. I hear you. My attention is given back. I'm ready to do what you say. And again, this isn't some magical incantation that you need to try and memorize and speak as though you're in some pagan relationship with God. It's Instead, it's a recognition and it's a reflection of the position of the heart that says, I hear you and I am ready to respond for, to whatever you have for me. Verse five says, then he said, This is God speaking to Moses. Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, when I went to Israel, one of the first things our travel guide asked us, it says, where is the holy land? As we stood uh, in in Caesarea Maritime, and he says, so tell me, where is the holy land? Is it here? We pick up the dirt, and here's, I have holy land. And, and he, he drove home this idea that, again, it's, it's to get our concept, is that it, it was not the geographical dirt. It wasn't even the nationality. What made a place holy is it was where God was. And what God is saying is that you're about to enter into my presence, and, man, you can't just come in however you want. So you understand there's this great line, and I've used this, this great line uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, a line in which the wardrobe were speaking of Aslan. 
And they say, oh, is he safe? Safe. Of course it's not safe, but he's good. See, when we use this illustration that, that God is like the sun, well, could you on your own just decide, I think I'm going to take a stroll up. We can't even look at the sun directly, I guess unless you're President Trump. Uh, you can't even look at the sun directly without incurring some sort of eye damage. I, I, I just recently got a telescope and I'm trying to figure out how to align it and all these things. And it was great because one of the first things they put on there go, okay, this is for nighttime. It says, this is for nighttime. Do not point this at the sun. And I'm like, <laughs> so awesome that we have to have warnings of that. But they're understanding, you as a human, you will be damaged if you come into the presence of this. If you even try and stare at it, it would burn your eyes out. God uses this imagery to let you know you as a human cannot just come into my presence however you want because it's not safe for you. It is not safe for you to come in. That's all of what sanctification has to do when you go through that process of we, as we move our way through the Old Testament is God wanting people to know you can't just walk in however you want. You'll die. And so God tells him here in this moment to, to take off your sandals, to, to take it off because it, what this walking is, again, as we would understand is as you're walking throughout the desert, that your, your feet are, are, again, it was, a, it was a symbol of basically walking around with dirty feet. Think back to when Jesus was washing his disciples' feet. And Jesus goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter goes, no, not me. You're not going to wash my feet. And, he, and Jesus looks around and goes, Peter, if I, don't, if I don't wash your feet, there's no relationship here. Did that mean that once Peter had his feet physically washed that he was able to just walk around? It was, God, is, is there something you need to understand, that greater message of what sanctification does and being able to bring us into the presence of God? And this is a moment where God is telling Moses, I want you here, but you can't just walk in however you want. That thing has to be removed from you, that filth, that sin that has to be removed, and so then we can come in. The other imagery here is, again, just I would want you guys to sit with what God is actually saying. So, oh, how, how, how you know, God's keeping him on, at an arm's length. It's a protective thing from him. I don't want you just burning up, but there's a way by which we can interact, and that's when sin is removed. That's when that filth has been removed. The other thing is, I, I don't know about you guys, but I didn't grow up this way, but it, 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 I don't know about you guys. I, I, my home has kind of changed a little bit, a little bit. But if you guys ever went to those houses where the people's like carpet is so perfectly manicured, you can see like the lines from where they vacuumed and you walk in from off the street and you see like the shoes on the side of the road, like, oh, this is not a place to walk in with my shoes. And you take your shoes off and you, you leave your shoes by the door. The thing here is the, the other idea is, is, is to, though there's a, there's a spec side to that, the other side of that is if you've ever been at a house and you just kick your shoes off and it's a person say, hey, just make yourself at home. Those are both the dynamics taking place here. Is that God is saying, you can't just walk in however you want. There's a process, process of sanctification, but I want you to make yourself at home in my presence. Kick off the shoes, sit back and make yourself at home right where I am. Verse six says, moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Again, we are talking about this God that we, we learned as we went through the book of Genesis. This is the creator, covenant maker, Yahweh speaking 
to Moses. And it says, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. I can go back to chapter 2. God says, my attention is on you. I am emotionally connected. And God is telling Moses, I know. Now let's just not forget something. The, different, the, the time between chapter 2 and this moment is 40 years. How easy it can be for us as time goes by. God, do you even care? Do you see what's going on here? Do you see the oppression? Do you see the injustice? God, do you even care? And God is letting Moses know, I have been watching for 40 years and I can't stand it anymore. I'm going to move. And Moses, I'm going to use you. We're reminded of this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is a patient God, but don't for a second, as he so much in himself is willing to be misunderstood, don't misunderstand God's patience with a fallen world for his attention on your sorrow. His attention is on you. He hears you, he sees you, and he cares. And you might ask him, why aren't you doing something? And he's saying, just trust me. I've got a plan that's in place. And he is patiently waiting for all who would reject him to come to the knowledge of who he is. Verse 8 says, he says, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Pezzarites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that I may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? I'm an 80-year-old guy who doesn't have his own flock. I'm living and working for my father-in-law. Me? Who, who, who am I? Listen to God's response in verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. He says, who am I? And God says, you're somebody who should know that I am right there with you. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. Now again, we spoke as that burning bush spoke to Moses about that plurality, the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, what is his name? He says, I am. Thousands of years later, a man will come onto the scene. A man who will stand before the people and say, you search the scriptures and, and you see this plurality. You see what seems to be two Yahwehs. He would stand before them and say, I am that Yahweh. As Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, 
before he would go to the cross for us. It says in Mark chapter 16, 61 and 62, again the high priest asked, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, when John wrote in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And in verse 14 we say, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John did not write that gospel going, You know, it would be a fun, clever play on words. I'm going to call Jesus the word. That's interesting. That's cool. That's, 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 that's edgy. That's, that's an idea. No, it's something that he had been brought up being taught, knowing the scriptures and knowing the names of God, that Jesus stood before all and said, as the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, declared his name to be, Jesus stood before them and said, I am. And then went as far for them to invoke Daniel 7 to them as they sit there, if there is any question and say, that son of man who approached the ancient of days whose kingdom will never fall away, that's me. And they knew that. That's why that moment they tore their clothes. That is why they put him on a cross. When Jesus would stand before them as they had stones in their hands and he said to them, of which of my good deeds do you stone me? And they say, none of your good deeds, because you being a man, make yourself equal with God. This idea of this plural God is something that again was taught within Israel and amongst the Jewish people for decades, for thousands of years. And Jesus stood up to tell them, what you read there with Moses in the burning bush, that was me. The one that Daniel saw, that was me. The one that David wrote about, it's me. And it so shook their understanding in their culture that a hundred years later, the rabbi teachers looking at how well Christ fulfilled that very statement that they had to make a decision. And instead of attacking him right on because they had no ability to, they just tried to bury the whole idea of the plurality of God. In fact, they said, we're gonna make it a heresy for you to teach that. This is not some idea that Americans just try to shoehorn in. This isn't just some new age thought that, you know, when, you know, the, the Germans were, were printing the, the Bible press, they go, oh, you know what would be a fun translation? John understood it when he spoke of who Jesus was. And he drew on thousands of years of teaching that go back to Genesis, to the moment in a burning bush, to a moment Jesus would stand the night before he would go to the cross for you and I to tell us exactly who he is. He is the angel of the Lord. He is Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim. He is the I am. Jesus, whose very name is God saves. His name is salvation. And what I want you to know is he knows your name. He knows you. 
His attention is on you and he is emotionally connected to everything going on in your life. Verse 15 says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come and shall come to you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and you shall say to him, the Lord God of Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst. After that, he will let you go. Again, guys, this is a spoiler alert for what's coming. God is telling Moses all that's about to play out. God is saying, I am going to send you to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to say, no, you're going to do some awesome stuff. They're going to reject it. And I personally am going to stretch out my hand and I am going to get you out. He goes even further to say, and I will give this people favor in the sight of, Egyptians, of the Egyptians. It shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. You're not going to go from slaves who are persecuted and have nothing to wandering out, the, out in the desert empty-handed. He says, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Elohim. Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, I am, speaks to Moses from a burning bush, telling him to make yourself at home in my presence. And as they're speaking to him, Moses gets overwhelmed. He lets the circumstances of his life get his understanding of what's being spoken to him completely amiss. And because this is who he focuses, God, who am I? And God says, you're the one I'm with. God, he he says to him, what if they don't believe me? What's in your hand? Moses, I took you from a palace where you thought that by political position and authority you would deliver this people and I took 80 years to bring you to a place where that stick in your hand you saw as meaningless and valueless. Take that thing, lay it down at my feet. And as Moses does that, he sees it come to life. That is the same thing he speaks to every single one of you in this room. You may sit in this room as God calls to you to impact your world for his kingdom. And you say, who am I? And God says, I'm the one whose attention is on you and I am with you. God, what if they won't listen to me? He goes, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? 
Is it the hand of another sibling? Is it a pen? What have I put in your hand? Lay it down and watch what I can do with it. God once again is saying, will you just trust me to know that I care for you? My attention is on you. I am with you. And whatever I have put in your hand, whatever you think is valueless, he's saying, no, no, because in my hand, in my hand it comes to life and brings life. He asks for you to do the very thing that he's telling you he's done to you. So you may look at a a chessboard and see a pawn and think no value. It's just another piece. In fact, it's one of the most insignificant pieces. And yet if I told you that that pawn that I held in my hand belonged to Bobby Fischer as he won one of his many victories, all of a sudden, well, that has immense value. Because we understand that the one whose hand who held it gives it great value. Again, I could show you a pen, and it may be a pen that you've seen several times. Ah, that's not a pen. And, and then yet if I held it, no, no, see, this is the pen that C.S. Lewis first wrote out, the Chronicles of Narnia. And you go, oh my gosh, the value that pen holds. They seemingly valueless, but in the hands of a master has great value. And that is what God has said he's done to every single one of you that you are in his hand and he imbues upon you amazing value because of who he is. And he asks you to look in your hand and see the very same thing. He wants you to be part of the very process by which he is reflecting that the things we think are valueless, he says, no, because, because the one who's in hand they have has great value, just as you are to him. And so with that, guys, again, as we, we end there this morning, that's just what I would want to leave you guys with. To know that there's this God creator who did not spin the world like a top and aimlessly looks about and lets life go out without any care or concern, but no, you have a God who is intently focused on you. And that we can allow time and the circumstances of our lives to think that who are we? And God says, you're the one I'm there with that he's calling to you. And you may look at your life and say, what can I do? And he says, look in your hand. What's in your hand? What have I placed in your hand? What, what gifting, what ability have I given you? And now lay it down at his feet and watch him do the miraculous to bring life and deliverance to things that we think have no value. That is what this passage shows us this morning. That there is a God, he is God, he is on his throne and he cares for every single one of you. He has a plan for you and he will use you. Just look in your hand and lay it down at his feet. Make yourself at home in his presence and watch what he's gonna do in and through you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again for who you are, who you're showing yourself to be by your word, through your word, And God, I pray that we wouldn't hear a message like this and let it just kind of pass by, but to once again just recognize the amazing consistency of your word, your word that cries out to us who you are and who you have desired for us to be. That desire for us to just be at home in your presence, so strong that you considered it joy as you went to the cross. And God, again, I just pray for anyone in this room who would stand before you and ask the question, who am I? 
God, that they would understand that just as Moses, you speak back to them, I am with you. You are the I am, the ever was, the ever will be, and you will never leave us or forsake us. Again, thank you for who you are and who you are making us to be. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derives from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal. <laughs>